that's how I was when I um, almost like busted some girl's knee up who had like recently the year before she had gotten like ACL like her she tore her ACL and had to get surgery um and then in intramural basketball I it was some sorority girls team and then I like fucked her up real bad (laughs) and she was like crying on the floor and was like my ACL like I tore it last year and I was like okay (laughs) this is intramural basketball I guess we're going too hard. <laughs> the broadcast, the biggest podcast in Vancouver, pretty much. We participate in light misandry. Get out of here with that. <laughs> Sexism. All of our societal structures are designed in ways to inherently prejudice women. Coach's Corner was kind of like my bathroom break. I don't give a fish's tits. I don't like to be bamboozled. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I mean, I'm having a lot of fun. Hi and hello, Broadscast friends. I'm Danny, your host for this week's episode of the Broadscast. And I am joined this week by Sam, Georgia, Mallory, and Vanessa. And we will be talking the Canucks season preview mostly. So let's kick today's episode off with our highs and lows. What's my low? You know what? My low is that it's been two and a half months and there are still people who think it's interesting or like a good response whenever we tweet about any hockey player or human being who has ever interacted with Barstool to be like, they went on spit and chiclets. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you that you keep an index of every single person who's ever been on. I don't fucking care. I just don't. I have already explained this multiple times. If you still don't understand the concept, that seems like a you problem and not an us problem. So that's my low. The highs, I have a lot of highs. We got really, really nice feedback on the Roman Yossi and Mark Borbietsky episode. Thank you to all of our new friends. We got a lot of Sens fans following us now. Some Preds fans, some Canes fans. So that's been nice. We got some nice new reviews, which was great because it's been a little while. And they are all short and sweet. First one is from Nuckhead. It says, late discovering you ladies, but I'm going back over all the episodes I missed. Not a bachelor gal myself but love the bin. Second one is from DF Pendris, who also quote tweets every single one of our episodes and gives us feedback, which we love. And he writes, every episode, this all-star team brings their best. The hockey talk is great. The topics other than hockey are great. Five stars aren't enough for this pod. And we got actually a lot of really nice DMs and messages. They're all too long to read out, but we appreciate you guys sending us your thoughts and feedback and we hope you keep doing that and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review or hit five stars the big thing this week is the Canucks are back in action and that is basically what takes up most of our show and yesterday was our today is Monday yesterday was Sunday and the Canucks practice was called off because of a false positive COVID test they were acting out of abundance of caution Five NHL teams have also done this. And what the hell is going on in the NHL and the sports world with COVID? Because you look at the NBA as well, and my favorite team, the Sixers, they actually had to sit out pretty much their whole team because Seth Curry, during a game, tested positive. They realized he was positive during the first quarter against the Brooklyn Nets, and they pulled him out in the first quarter but everybody else kept playing in the game. 
So after the game was over, all the Sixers had to quarantine in New York, New York where they were playing. The next game, they basically had all their starters sit out. So they had Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. They were all sitting out and had a rookie start. It was good for the rookie. Like, he played well. He put up 39 points. But it was really shitty that the Sixers had to play. And Doc Rivers, their coach, was really upset and didn't think they should have played because of the wear and tear on the players. When they sat, they listed them actually as, like, with a back and knee injury. And then the NBA fined them for that. How can they not be like, his back hurts? How can they not prove that? I know, right? Especially, like, you look at Embiid all last season and Simmons, too, and they did miss a lot of time. So it's kind of, like, bullshit. And you do look at a couple more games have been canceled, like the Chicago Bulls and the Boston Celtics, just because they didn't – there are so many players in um, quarantine that they can't even feel the roster. So it'll be interesting to see with the NHL how their season goes and how many cancellations will go on. Is the – one guy, he dated Kendall Jenner, right? Yeah, Ben Simmons. Ben, ben Simmons. Simmons. Okay. That's what I thought. Oh my God. Okay, so Ben Simmons, this really bugs me because like I went to a Tinashe show in like 2015, 16, and it was really good. It was like super good. And I think that we have failed her as pop music. I think she should be bigger. Anyway, Ben Simmons allegedly dumped Tinashe for quote, doing Kardashian shit. And then like a month later, he started dating Kendall Jenner. So, Ben Simmons. I have beef with him. Yeah, and then Kendall If he would like to fight me, fly me out to fight. Fly me out to quarantine for two weeks and then I'll fight you. Who knows if he'll even be on the Sixers much longer because there's those James Harden rumors and the rumor is that if he comes to the Sixers, which is like one of the only spots that'll take him, it'll be for Ben Simmons because that's what they'll need. So that'd be fun for me, I think, to lose Ben Simmons, game, game James Harden. Let's go. It's so wild, like, to see. So we had the kind of, we watched the baseball season and what happened there. Obviously, that was in, like, the height of COVID. And now we're seeing, you know, the NBA kind of, like, as a precursor to what will probably happen with the NHL. Um, Though I don't, I'm not as well read on what the actual NBA rules are for their COVID protocols. For the NHL, it's kind of wild, like, the Canucks canceling their practice. That was not required of them. It like because it was a false positive, but all they had to do is test all test the players, and if any of them they all tested negative, they would have been allowed to practice, even if that was not a false positive. The person was did have a positive test, and that is the kind of big critique to the protocols that they don't actually have to quarantine or socially distance as long as they test negative. So is um, that different than like the NBA? Even though the NBA is having, I don't know. I don't know, but also, like, how the fuck did Seth Curry play in the game when he had a positive test? Like, what what the fuck? (laughs) That is insane. Yeah, they test twice on game day, so once right when they wake up, and I think once again right uh, closer to game time. So I think it must have been the one closer to game time test that was the positive. And the GMs in the NBA today had a meeting about the protocol, and they decided to reduce practices going forward and getting rid of like their shoot arounds. And, like that's just the morning of before the game. They just go like the morning skate pretty much and they just shoot around. They are they want to limit the pl- people around the players. So when you're on the road, you can only have like two guests close to you. And they're so either supposed to be your family members or like your close, close friends. 
and they want to kind of get rid of that too they were talking about in the meeting so no ig models for the nba superstars so sad so who was the guy who escaped and went to the strip club because he wanted the wings oh lou williams (laughs) so good no so in the nhl when they're traveling they're in a bubble so if they go to a hotel like they can't leave the hotel unless they're going to um uh get medical help physical training or whatever and then i read this in the covid protocol that they are allowed to technically visit family if they're in that city but that seems weird and i feel like that will be ultimately taken out but for the most part they're pretty locked down when they're traveling good but also bad like i'm like that's healthier but also like it's not a great thing to do to people i mean like they're gonna be in edmonton and winnipeg so and ottawa i mean so you that is actually there are bubbles all the time when you go to winnipeg even gonna like enforce it like are they gonna have security and all that there again well I asked a couple of people because it wasn't in the COVID protocol, like if they are individual teams that will enforce by fining or by suspending, or if it's the NHL, if there's an overarching scheme and I was left on red <laughs> by multiple people <laughs> who did not respond to me. Honestly, I think podcast they- account. <laughs> I think <laughs> the Durant's- COVID protocol <laughs> is just left on red. Like they're like, Hey, what are we going to do if there's a COVID outbreak? left on red. Well, I just couldn't find anything that would say like, it would be something coming from say like player safety. It would be an overarching thing where it's like automatically, if you leave the bubble, you're fined. Like in the NFL, what team was it, Danny, that like got fined an insane amount of money, like right at the end of December. I can't remember who it was because they didn't obey protocols or like even the Titans um, did at once. It was the Titans. Yeah. Yeah. It was the Titans. They got find like $500,000 or something like it was insane so we'll see yeah and the Broncos the quarterbacks they all had that meeting where they weren't wearing masks together and all that too and they had to have a wide receiver play quarterback off their like practice squad so that was really funny earlier in the NFL season too yeah and like for the 76ers like the guy who was playing point guard is like notorious for not being able to like dribble right that's what yeah I heard it it was (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see in the NHL, like, if something happens, like, will a forward have to play defense? Like, I know that they have a taxi squad technically, but if you do have an outbreak, like, what does that mean? Do we have Alex Edler playing goal? Like, (laughs) now that we don't have Chris Tanev, like, will that happen? I want it to, kind of, because that would be funny, but also that means people have COVID, so. I think it was the Rangers last year, like, during the regular season, they just had, like, a line, like, their fourth line was had defensemen on it just for no good reason and they like scored before uh because but i think it was making fun of like how bad the rangers were that that was what was happening so the canucks had a defenseman dress as a the canucks had a defenseman dress yeah i mean like the fourth line yeah i remember who it was even at the world juniors i think germany had like 15 people that was really sad something that was really sad but we really shouldn't be questioning the NHL. We should really be thanking the owners because as Gary Bettman said today, <laughs> they are still performing the season to top a billion dollar loss. So we should be really grateful and thankful that the owners are sacrificing so much for us, the pe- fans and the players and their health and safety. Thank you, billionaire owners. What I really don't understand is like what a lot of doctors were saying is like, just wait until people are vaccinated by March theoretically there were supposed to be we weren't going to have herd immunity but there was supposed to be enough people vaccinated that 
it wouldn't be as bad. So why didn't the NHL wait? And I think I read somewhere, I don't know if I have a citation for this, that it's all about the kind of U.S. broadcasting and being able to hit prime time, not having to go up against the NFL. And it's just so dumb. (laughs) Yeah, I thought you were talking about the U.S.'s horrible vaccine rollout. I mean, that I literally read some story today where somebody was like, yeah, they came to the hospital and were like, oh, we're going to vaccinate anybody who isn't vaccinated. And like, people were like, I want to get vaccinated. And they're like, no, you don't work here. So you can't. How dumb does Gary Bettman think we are? Like the man is literally like, oh, we're just doing it for you because it'd be cheaper to not play. It's like, well, then why didn't you think about that when you locked the league out in 1994, 2004, and 2012? Like, no one believes you. Also, you're not losing a billion dollars. There's no way this league is losing a billion dollars. They're losing a billion dollars if they were losing, like, 900 million last year, probably. Like, they're just always operating on a huge deficit. In Gary Bettman's defense, look at all the people in our- No, shut up. (laughs) Those are hockey fans. Those are NHL fans. They are dumb as fuck. So, yeah, a lot of hockey fans are dumb as fuck. You know what? Incidents. If you're losing, if you're losing a billion dollars, it's because you let fucking idiots like Tony D'Angelo talk about how he's gonna go start a fucking parlor account so that like half the world's population doesn't even want to watch your fucking stupid league. It's your own fault. Yeah, NBA is so much more fun to watch just as a product too. It's just fucking fun, and I wish the NHL was fun to watch. Oh my god, are we gonna talk about the Nickelodeon game? Oh yeah. speaking of like marketing I mean I didn't actually watch it because like I don't get that channel because I'm an adult (laughs) Um, apparently it was like they were like introducing football to kids which is really cute and also that's like good marketing in general and that's really what they should do with hockey but they would never because they're the dumbest idiots world's dumbest idiots did you watch any of it Danny I mean like did they have like the slime red zone yeah, I didn't, unfortunately, I don't get Nickelodeon, but I did watch all the highlights after they, um, I saw the video clips. They did the slime. like the They slimed uh, Sean Payton, the New Orleans head coach. I love that. And in the end zone when they scored touchdowns, there'd be like slime coming out the sides and everything covering the end zone. It was really cool. Was it real slime? No, I think it was just like the so, visual yeah. effects. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool though. And there was one one F bomb though that got through because you know with no crowd noise. It's a little bit harder and yeah, just one snuck through. So that was pretty fun. Ah, the kids are fine. Oh yeah. yeah they'll fine. they'll be okay. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> they can hear the F word. Yes. Morgan yes, Riley Raggett on Nickelodeon. Ooh. Morgan Riley Raggett on Disney Channel <laughs> coming to you. The twenty twenty one NHL season. <laughs> You know, both of those are still better than Justin Thomas actually saying it. Yeah, but nobody watches golf, so. Also a good point. <laughs> Do you remember when um, Jonathan Tapes did it at the, I think it was the 06 World Juniors? Yeah. Iconic. And his face after. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly did it too at, yeah. after the cup. Yeah, it's pretty common actually. So before the COVID protocol canceled, or it's not even protocol, the Canucks decided to preemptively cancel practice they had a inner squad game and it was the battle of the broadcast where we had our boy tyler mott and our girl michaela her husband tyler mott was very mean (laughs) i'm not gonna lie 
he slew footed him. And we say no, Tyler Mott slander. So this is not slander. I'm just saying that I'm just saying maybe the Tyler Mott saw him tweet that like everybody appreciate everybody and he was like, You can't get away with this. <laughs> just slew footed. As a person who likes to throw elbows in soccer, I really appreciate that Tyler Mott play, and I like him a little bit more for it. He I think it's pretty funny. I think playing he dirty. He Jace Harlock, yeah. and he, like, didn't come back to the game. That's like, it. he hit his head. I playing thought... dirty in a game against your own team is so funny. You had the best thing ever. so now. not necessary. Oh, it's so not necessary, but you know what? I can appreciate somebody who just wants to show that edge to make the team. Okay, but today they trotted Tyler Mott out with Bo. Was he with Bo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was first out, I think, too. Yeah. Wasn't he? So it actually probably helped that they didn't have practice because then they didn't have to talk about this right away. They brought Tyler Mott out, and then he said it was all good. Everything was fine. But we'd like to personally thank the hundreds of people <laughs> who tagged <laughs> us and stuff. It's anytime Tyler Mott like breathes, we'll get tagged in his stuff, which we love. And that's so fun. And then this one was kind of just an extra thing because they both follow us. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, shit. People are tagging Nate Schmidt in this thing. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> that's like the same as snitch tagging. I tagging like biz in a tweet where I'm saying that Barstool like is the scum of the earth to me, is at the same level of disrespect as you tagging Nate Schmidt in this tweet, <laughs> suggesting that we actually want him on our podcast. So another week in hockey went by, and that means Tony D was up to his same old bullshit, but this time it had a happy ending where he left uh, social media because he is a racist, misogynistic piece of shit, and he does not deserve social media. So yeah, he... Um, him and his little Trumpy ass uh, got all upset that Trump got kicked off Twitter, blah, 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 deleted his Twitter, said he was going on Instagram, <laughs> went over to Instagram, saw the same shit going on over there, said he was going to that stupid ass parlor app that we talked about that is now non-existent. So yeah, Tony D is not on social and it's a little bit better place because of it. It truly was like a moment of unity. <laughs> across nations, across team fandoms, uh, gender, <laughs> everything. Everyone celebrated that moment. Yeah, except for the Rangers, like, really do have him on a long leash. Like, they keep being like, we're dealing with this internally. And it's like, like, what point do you have to, like, maybe say something? Especially when he has The Rangers like are not- Miller. Yeah, the Rangers are, like, really, you know, not wanting to exclude anybody. He's come back before. He doesn't oh, seem he's... to be a man of his word. <laughs> so, he'll be back. I mean, probably. the one his... thing you can say about Tony, what the man loves more than white supremacy is attention. Now that he can't cry on Parlor because they got booted off Amazon and are not operational, how long can he go? before coming back on Twitter to cry some more. Like, I know he thinks he's being silenced, which is deeply entertaining for a man with an agent and access to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and the New York Rangers press. He's going to want to cry about something at some point. And you just know he's going to log back on. There's no way. Yep. Yeah, we should take bets on how long he'll last. 
broadcast fantasy pool 2021 (laughs) yeah how long long until tony d's back over under price price is right rules we want minutes seconds as well Um, you know what let's tweet it and whoever wins i will buy them stuff from not a fan joe's all right from one fuck boy to another mike milbury noted nbc fuck boy was a kicked off the broadcast team and out of NBC. So it was a quick, a little happy moment for us all over here at the broadcast. But then when we actually read who was replacing him, the victory party ended shortly because it's none other than old white hockey man, Mike Babcock. Okay, i just like to go back. Is Mike Mulberry really a fuckboy? Is Tony D'Angelo <laughs> a fuckboy? I think we're playing fast and loose with what a fuckboy is. <laughs> I just call everybody fuckboys that I hate now. That's fair. That's fair. I'd like it started to started dating and then there was lots of them. Now I just love saying it. Like That's fair. I'd like to just relive the Mike Milbury photo of the space needle for one minute. Because that truly was the highlight of the bubble out of everything. That was the highlight. Space needle. I can't remember what else happened, but it, it was, was so blurry. blurry. Also, like, so the great blurry. thing about that photo is that it's not in focus either. <laughs> he didn't delete it. He kept it. Um, yeah. So, uh, RIP to him. But, yeah. Mike Babcock is... I actually, like, besides the fact that he has a track what? record as doing... piss, actually. We don't give a fuck about Mike Milbury. <laughs> no, the fact that he, like, Mike Babcock has a history of doing terrible things to his players, and that was kind of well documented like the Mitch Marner story is probably the one that people know probably the most or maybe Johan Franzen he also just doesn't seem like he'd be that good of an analyst so boring he would just be really boring someone tweeted what they thought that he would say yeah it was Omar it was incredibly accurate tic-tac Tomar Mike Babcock as an analyst well the first thing is that he needs to be a good human being Period. I've seen insert player name. He's a good man, has a good family, does it right every day, eats right, drinks right, sleeps right, brushes his teeth right, is a good pro. Yeah, like, how is that interesting? And I would like to take this moment to personally shout out Gary Neville. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> because we love it. Uh, I was having mental health crises, so instead of coping, I watched highlights of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. <laughs> from Sky Sports doing their commentary and they're so fun. They actually talk about relevant things. They're really good analysts. They break down stuff. It's really good. It's funny banter and we will never have that in hockey because they don't, they're just not the same. Anyway, Gary Neville, come on the broadcast. Yeah, one thing too I noticed about like the English, the soccer or the coverage over there is they, they're diehard fans of the teams they played for still. They like they really like they're like act like they're still on that team and members of that team and it makes it so much fun too to be like fans of like united and have yeah the old united legends just like freaking out and cheering for them still and like criticizing them when they're terrible as well of course too because that's really fun well and they also get they're all stars like yeah like it would i just can't imagine Sidney crosby after he retires being like you know what i'm gonna be a panelist <laughs> like he'd be so fucking boring <laughs> for whatever reason they're just it works better i'm sure that there's some people who have some in-depth thoughts as to why it works better but i digress anyway going back to the babcock thing though 
Um, Greg Krasinski actually asked NBC um, whether they had spoken to Babcock about the psychological abuse accusations. And the response from NBC was, quote, we've had a full process of conversations as we do with anyone we bring in on the team. Like, that's just a string of words. And remember, this is the same organization that hired uh, Milbury in the first place and Jeremy Roenick. So like, fuck off with that. <laughs> yeah, like obviously the conversations you're having before you hire people are not very good. In another hot topic this week was the NHL is now placing advertisements on the players' helmets. So uh, this season, the Canucks are sponsored by Rogers. So you'll see a little Rogers deco on the side of their helmet. It's honestly, I didn't think it's oh, very you noticeable. What's that word? Deco? Deco? Deco. Do you guys know the D? Do you say decal? Yes? Because oh I'm my normal. God. No, because you're American. No, that's gross and Southern. <laughs> <laughs> She's from the Midwest. I know. Deckel? <laughs> Deckel? Deckel. I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> what was the thing that I was saying and you got so mad at me for, Mel? Pasta. Oh, no. Pasta. I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> Every single time you guys say sorry on this show, I like contemplate like offing myself. <laughs> Deckle. <laughs> at least we don't say rough. I hate I'll that. I'll say rough if I want to. No. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go because that's gonna come on. <laughs> Six minutes. Okay, so, well, my co- commentary on the decals that are going on their <laughs> helmet is fine. Yeah, I think they're is fine. That, um, this is why everybody needs to get into cars. This is nothing. This is nothing. Yeah, I think the funniest thing about it is, like, all of the ads are just from existing sponsors. Like, it's so dumb. How has this not, like, happened earlier? This is why the NHL is broke. So like, funny. the NBA already has the ones on their jerseys. Obviously, soccer teams have been doing that. What's the problem? And then also people are having like an aneurysm about the naming of the divisions, selling off the naming rights. Everything is already sponsored. They're all wearing their gear. Like, I think Ray Ferraro was the first one who said this, but they have a massive Bauer or CCM or Easton logo on their helmet already. The uniforms are Adidas uniforms or are they still Adidas? I actually don't know anymore. They are. They always change them. Every single thing that you hear when you listen to Canucks hockey, it's like growing up, it was always budget break and muffler, <laughs> like fucking Safeway score and play, win. Safeway score and win. Everything is already commercialized and like monetized in that way. That's just where we're at. I have a whole rant about this. I won't get into it now because Should. we're running out of time. Like the people on Twitter who are freaking out about it or like people like my father who are like, no, you can't do that. It ruins the like purity of the game. It's fears of American encroachment (laughs) that date back to like the Revolutionary War. And it's this fear that Canada will lose its hockey supremacy because America is going to take over and they're going to lose it. Yeah, you already did when you lost in World Juniors last week. Pal, go fuck yourself. (laughs) This is about... (laughs) It's all tied into this fear of the commercialization of the game, meaning the loss of its innocence, which is tied to Canada. And you see this from 1972 when uh, this guy wrote the book called The Death of Hockey and it was all about the fears of America taking over because when they had the 68 expansion, no Canadian teams are introduced. You see this repeat itself over and over again, particularly 
at moments like when Gretzky left and he went to LA, which was a huge betrayal to like Canadian hockey because the best player was now in America. You see it when the Winnipeg Jets, the original team, and the Quebec Nordiques left and went to the States. It was all fears of this Americanization. The new logos or decals <laughs> is the same. It's all tied into that. It's this fear of the kind of loss of hockey's innocence and it's turning into something, God forbid, like the NBA or like the NFL. Oh my God. It's just a sign of hockey being still stuck in the past in a lot of ways and, and tied to this, tied to this almost like ivory tower belief that we're so much better than everything else. Uh, and that is why they will always remain the fourth uh, most watched sport in North America. Well, also, I think, yeah, the old-fashioned and, like, reluctancy to face, like, the realities of the world or whatever, but it's, like, the Canadian, like, obsession with, like, pond hockey, et cetera, like, being, like, that is, like, where, like, all of these, like, kids, and it's, like, no, these kids were, like, in ranks for hours on end for their entire youth. Well, yeah, it's like, the belief, it's the belief that it's Canada's- the belief that it's, like, an or- more organic thing, and it's, like, no, it's, like, a pipeline, <laughs> Well, no, it's the belief that Canada's hockey, like, story is tied to this idea of, like, the northern working class boy who makes it out of the steel mills to play hockey, aka Big League by Tom Crocker in the song, and that it's the love of the game that drives these players, when in reality, the players that are making it now are spending, their parents are spending, like, tens of thousands of dollars per year on hockey academies, on dry land training on off-season training on all this stuff like that isn't the story anymore but Canada still holds on to this idea that you know the outdoor rink and the innocence of the game and the amateurness of the game is is what drives the true passion that drives like the true essence of the game and Canada is the only people are can Canadians are the only people who understand that that's basically the narrative and it's dumb and old for our next section, we're going to talk the Canucks upcoming season, and we have a very special guest joining us from Sportsnet 650, noted Brown superfan, Satyar Shah. How are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good, thanks. Pretty thanks good. for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Awesome. So to get things started, we'll just go back to the Canucks offseason. And what are the three biggest moves you think the Canucks made this offseason? Uh, well, I think obviously getting Nate Schmidt is the biggest move. So, I mean, I'd rank that number one with a bullet, being able to get a puck moving defenseman like him. And, you know, it's something this team has really needed. It worked out that they got him for a third round pick and it was exactly the type of addition they needed on the back end. They still need more. You need to see the third pair emerge. We'll see with Ulevi and of course, you know, Hamannick. But I think the second move I would probably say was getting Braden Holtby. Because getting him, I do think it's going to work out well with Ian Clark. And it's not just, you know, I'm not a goalie expert on these things, but uh, ha- having worked with some of these guys, and I really put faith in a lot of goalie guys that I do know that I've talked to, and they really believe that having Ian Clark work with Braden Holpe is going to bring the best out of him. It's going to be a good partnership. So I feel it's, that was a good backup move if you're not going to get Jacob Markstrom. And I'd say number three – well, obviously, the losses. You have to put that in, right? Like the guys they lost. So I would say that in theory, if you're thinking long-term, the best move was getting Nate Schmidt because that's a long-term play that works out for your back end. I don't think it would have been wise to match Calgary at 6 times 6 on Jacob Markstrom. 
Now, if you want to make the argument that you can give out one contract like that, a poison pill contract, you may as well give it to somebody like Jacob Markstrom. And, you know, you could justify maybe as that being your one shot. But when you have the contracts you have on the books, you couldn't afford to put that kind of type of contract in front of Jacob Markstrom. And Chris Tanev, I mean, you know, God love him. But I'm not giving four years of Chris Tanev in any world, right? So I, I don't think you could have matched that. But obviously losing those guys and not being able to keep Toffoli. To me, losing Toffoli was a big one. You could have had him sign for $4 million, And if you really wanted to give him, mean, you could have easily made that happen. You could have not brought Jake back. That's $2.5 million. You could have figured out to open up another $1.8 million. If there's a will, there's a way. There would have been a way to do it. Now, part of the reason they couldn't do that, obviously, obviously was the cash wasn't freed up by ownership. And it wasn't necessarily a cap problem per se. But if you don't have the contracts on the books, you're not paying the type of money you're paying those guys, you would have been freed up to do other things, obviously. So it all ties in together. It's just which narrative do you want to go after? How do you want to kind of frame it? But obviously those things got in the way. So that was a big part of this offseason. So if I really want to rank it in that way, I'd say that was number two because it prevented you from doing so many different things. So number three, I'd say bringing, bringing Holpe in because that was, that was a problem this offseason. And totally ownership wasn't willing to throw money at their cap problems like they had in past years. And that's why they weren't able to buy anybody out and do creative things, for instance, even on one-year deals, because the tap kind of closed off. And again, if you hadn't spent as much cash, ownership maybe would have allowed you to do more things, right? And all this stuff, again, like all ties in together. So to me, that was the second biggest storyline of this offseason. And had the Canucks had more money or if ownership had given more money, again, whichever way you want to frame it, they could have done more things. But getting H. Smith to me is big because that's a long-term playing three, I would say, is shoring up your goaltending and giving yourself a chance to compete in this division with them going home. Do you think they've improved since last season? It all hinges on goaltending, right? Like, that's the big thing here. I do, like, roster-wise, the defense is clearly better. I mean, Schmidt over Tanev, no doubt. Hamannick and Stetcher, that's one we got to find out, right? Like, it is Stetcher, is Hamannick able to go back to what he was two years ago? And if he can, well, that's, that's your stretcher replacement. And if you love, he can do his thing. The third pair, that's really how it, how it falls in. But I do think the defense, no doubt, is better. Again, there's no doubt the defense is better. Up front, again, it hinges on an unknown, and that's Niels Hoglander, right? Like, if he can play and give you something, he replaces Levo to some extent. You don't get Toffoli. Again, Toffoli was 10 games in regular season. But on a whole, the forward group isn't as good as it was. The defense is better. And... The bat and the goaltending is the one that you don't quite know. But I do think there's a potential for this team to be better than they were last season in terms of their system play. Because if you have three D pairs that can play and you levy can do his thing, that's a really big boost. Like having a defense that potentially has three pairs that are functional, two that could be good, and one that could be elite with Quinn Hughes running things. There is potential there that the defense could make up for the loss up front because you're transitioning so much better. You're giving more offensive zone time to your forwards. And being able to have defensemen that can move the puck quickly and hit those guys in transition and create more offense that way, I do think some players could be buoyed by that in the, in the bottom six a little bit goal-scoring-wise. Goaltending, it's hard. I mean, even if Holpe is good, there's no way he's going to be as good as Markstrom was last year, right? And, okay, maybe famous last words. Maybe this comes back to haunt me. But Markstrom was so good last year. Like, he was elite-level good. And when you break it down by analytics – 
he was worth something like six or seven wins for the Canucks last season, which is astronomical for a goaltender. Markstrom was so good, he's never going to be as good as he was last season, right? Like, that's how good Markstrom was. So I don't think there was any way you could have replicated that. But there is potential that if Demko does take the step and hopefully, you know, goes back to being his career average of what he is, that you get a, a relative push goaltending at the whole. Because let's not forget, until Demko got good towards the end, he really struggled through parts of last season. So you still, if you look at it in totality, there's potential the goaltending could be a push. So I, like, I think the Canucks are a playoff team. Let me just put it, put it out there right now. I think they make the playoffs here. I don't think they're necessarily better up front than they were. And it all hinges on the back end. So I, it's hard for me to say if they're going to be better or not. It's, it's literally a guess, right? I could say yes, I could say no. But I do think the Canucks are a playoff team. I believe Quinn and Hamannick were playing together today. What are your thoughts on them two as a potential pairing? I like it in theory, right? It, and it all comes down to, to theory here because Hamannick could kind of be like Chris Tanner. You know, we've seen how these guys have played together. And there is a potential that Hamannick could be the stay-at-home guy that's, that's safe, plays the right side well, and does have a physical part, you know, to his game as well. And not so much in going out and fighting, but if he can win a lot of those board battles and he can stay strong along the boards like Chris Tanev did, then you give yourself a chance of that pairing at least being a push to what they were last year. Quinn Hughes in and of, of himself is going to be better, right? And one thing I've noticed, you know, being at camp for a few days and watching the scrimmages, he is stronger than he was last season. I am really excited to see what he can do in his second season. I, I'm not like, I don't want to put the pressure on him and say he has to be this. But if he can take that step, which he is clearly capable of with his high-level skill, I do think that pairing could be really good, as long as Hamannick just hasn't fallen off a cliff. Like, last year was a really bad year for him. Throughout his career, it was a bit of an aberration. He's had a couple of down years before, but on the whole, he is a capable top-six NHL defenseman, has played at a top-four level. And if he goes back to just being average of who he is, I think that pairing has a good chance of working because Quinn Hughes will elevate his partner. Is that the is Quinn Hughes' sophomore season the storyline that you think is going to be the most enticing uh, as a Canucks fan? Would you say when you're watching oh, I, the team? For sure, I, I think him and Pedersen. I don't think you can separate the two because yeah. you know they're they're both special elite level players that think and play the game completely differently, right? And they're so obsessed with the game in a good way too. Like you know they love the game so much and they want to be great so badly and they work so hard at it. That it's, you know, it's, it's enthralling to see that type of athlete push themselves and, and try to go to that next level. And if you get a chance to watch it, I think, you know, that anticipation clearly is the best storyline here. Because it's also, you know, the highest payoff, right? I mean, what excites you the most is the highest potential in things. And what's the highest potential this team has? Well, it's Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen. And both guys are young. Pedersen going to his third year. And, you know, like you said, Quinn Hughes going into his second season. Sell the stars, right? I mean, people listen to radio because they want to hear the hits. Now, we may, might lo love our indie bands. We all have bands we love. We all have, you know, we all love different types of music. But if you're looking at what really separates and creates that superstardom, and I mean where people just follow your every move, you have Pedersen, you have Quinn Hughes, and those guys are players that this franchise have had very few of, of that caliber, especially the ones that they've drafted. On the flip side... What storyline are you just ready to throw off a cliff and never have to talk about again? Is it Jake Vertanen? Oh, man. Yeah, it is to some extent. But I think, like, the Jake thing has 
it's kind of gone so long, right? And like we've been through every single generation. Yeah, and it's like, and it doesn't end, right? But at the same time, he does bring some utility, right? So part of me is like, okay, when you have players that are literally dragging you down, contributing next to nothing, you know, relative to how much money they're making, like a Louis Erickson, right? Like, the, I'm like, okay, I'll live with Jake. Like, at least he gives you something, right? Like, at least there's a payoff there and, you know, the money's not ridiculous. The thing I worry about with Jake, honestly, is that his second season, that contract's going to be a trouble problem right like that's what i hope doesn't happen and you can sit here and say well it's only two and a half million yeah but the cap is tight and when you look at the second contracts this team has given out you know people really talk a lot about the free agents this team has signed and yeah of course i mean they made a lot of mistakes or like they've overpaid some guys but they've also made some good additions or whatever but more than anything when you look at the second contracts they've given especially to, to their rfas none of them have really worked out well right look at the bear contract you know, we all love Troy Stetcher, but he got paid too much, right? And his qualifying offer was way too high, and they had no chance of bringing him back. Well, actually, you know, let me rephrase that. They had a chance of bringing him back. He signed for, for a lot less than anybody anticipated he would sign. But look at that contract. It wasn't a good contract in retrospect. And just go through the list of these guys. Even Ben Hutton, for instance, they couldn't qualify him because the number was too high. I hope with Jake, we're not sitting here next year and saying the number is too high again for, the, for a player on their second contract. But I kind of fear that's the spot we're going to be in because Jake is kind of is who he is, which isn't a bad player. He's going to give you 18 goals, maybe 21 year, whatever, 15, and bring some versatility and there's utility in it. But is it worth two and a half million? I don't know if that's going to be worth it in a year. So I'm ready for that to be done, but we're like a year away from that being done regardless. But I'd say, you know, outside of the bending bro, anti bro, whatever bro <laughs> stuff, like I'm, I'm so done with that. But not talking about these players in the bottom six, I hope, because I'm done with it, right? And, and really, that's the, that's the thing that's going to hold this team back from being a next-level contender is can they have a bottom six that's good? And I can't wait to get off some of these deals and be over all that entire discussion and talk about the future. So Brock Besser looked really good at camp. And what about his game looks improved or looks so good? Well, he looked a bit quicker, right? And, and I think that's, that's the kind of thing we want to see from Brock, especially be, you know, because of how the game is trending. You want to see him be a bit quicker. I thought he was quicker and assertive. He had a presence to him. That's the way I would kind of describe it. And you kind of see that from players that kind of come into their own sometimes. You see them have this swagger, this, this presence to them. They play with more assertiveness. There's more purpose to their game and to their demeanor, kind of. And I noticed that from Brock. And I think that's what kind of could, could be kind of exciting here about Brock because he hasn't replicated what he did in his rookie season, but he was really good last year. Like Brock's a good hockey player, right? And he may never be that 45, 50 goal scorer. Maybe we had hoped he'd be when you saw what he did as a rookie, but there's a lot there to his game. And he has an opportunity this season to do a bit more. And if he finishes a bit more and scores a bit more, then you're looking at a guy that, when he comes off his contract, he could make a lot of money. And it's not the end-all, be-all for everybody, but what drives a lot of these guys is also, hey, I know you made a lot of money, but hey, do you want to, make a, do you want to have a contract that's worth $60 million? Do you want a contract worth $70 million? Like, is, Do you want to hit it big while you have the chance? And when you're around guys like Pedersen and Quinn and, and guys who are driven and guys who have been in your ear, I do think there is – a different demeanor for Brock in that sense. So I think there's potential here if he 
if he really does put it together, he could have a big year. And, you know, you got to have a strong camp if you want to have a big year. You got you to gotta be really serious about certain things. And we're seeing that from Brock. And, and I hope it does lead to a big year. How is like the setting up of all of like the taxi squad like situation just in case of like outbreaks and stuff? How would you like set that up in general? Like, how do you yeah. think that's going to work? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to have guys that you're actually going to use, right? Like you, you know, so as much as if you're not going to play Jack Rathbone this year, you can't put him on a taxi squad. Like you got to send him to Utica. He's got to play games. But if you think he's close and you think he might be able to play for you, like I, I keep him around. Like I'd get creative with that. And you might say, hey, you might need games instead, but he can, he can skate around with the team. He can be around the team. They can do their thing. Being around, I think, is valuable for a guy like him. He's close, man. Like, I think Jack Rathbone is close. Like, when I watch him play and I see the skill he has, if he can, if he can show that he can understand the game well, like, he's close to play. So I would get creative and put him there. Like, I would definitely put uh, Sven there. And I'd keep kind of the veterans around there. Like, a guy like Tyler, uh, J- Justin Bailey, once he clears waivers, even Grayo back. They're not fun names, but they're guys who are going to play for you, right? Like you're going to call them up. And if you don't think your forwards are ready, the other young guys, you got to let them play. But same thing with Will Will Lockwood. He looks like he could be close from an effort level standpoint and how aggressive he is, how fast he is. And if you think you can play and play in a bottom six role, and I'm not talking about Will Lockwood being the star level player or anything, but just a guy who can contribute for you and play. And even Mark Michaelis, I think guys like that, I would – if I think they're close, if those guys think they're close, I would put at least one of those two players on the taxi squad. I don't know if you read the article, but Thomas Jantz, um did an article about pe- players whose stock are rising and falling. Mm-hmm. And Cole Lind was one of the players who was falling. And I think he just got sent. Yeah, sent down, yeah. sure I, th- I, think, I think he's about to send. I didn't see if he's officially sent down, but yeah, he will be. Yeah, like, do you think he's fallen down the death charts pretty quickly? Yeah, for sure. I mean... You know, it was funny. I was talking to uh, Vic about this, and we were we were talking about like just just Cole Lynn. It's like you know, you see guys like Neil Hoglanger show up, and all of a sudden he leapfrogs you. You see Will Lockwood come in, he's leapfrogging you. You know, you see Mark and Kale, he's like, oh, this guy could be close to playing. And we're not sitting here talking about Cole Lynn being a guy who's close to playing. And that's nothing against him. He's actually taken strides. He is getting better. There's there's more there to him. He is improving, but his developmental pace is a lot slower compared to where those other guys are and when you look at nhl readiness for sure i i don't think he's gonna play anytime soon especially with the guys they have in front of him you know and and if louis does end up staying on the taxi squad or he is around still that's another guy that's going to be ahead of you still i'm not saying he doesn't have a chance to be a player like he he's developed on a slower pace and, and this is the truth like some guys take a long time i mean there are very few Pedersen and Hughes types players, and even Brock, right, who show up right away and they're good right away. And but for Cole, then, yeah, I think his I, it's very fair to say his stock is falling, and you shouldn't be expecting anything from him anytime soon. What about Jonah Gagevich? Because he was also a second round pick after Cole. Yeah, uh, very similar boat, and I think Lind is a, ahead of Gagevich for sure, for sure. And Gagevich has effort level; it plays hard. Just just doesn't have the quickness and doesn't have the skating to be an NHL player yet. And until he develops that, he's not going to play in the NHL. What about Mikey DiPietro? <laughs> I love Mikey DiPietro, man. Me like too. Mikey, yeah, Mikey, Mikey is such a great kid, you know, and, and I know it's easy to like, honestly, I, I hate saying that about athletes, generally speaking, because, you know, 
I, I hate role models. I, I hate the concept and us, you know, putting, you know, elevating guys. And I don't mean, you know, it's missed to make Mikey be, out to be a saint, but a genuinely good kid, right? And that's what I see from him. And he works super hard. He's super athletic. And people in the organization believe in Mikey DiPietro, right? And like Patrick Johnson mentioned, uh, rising, at, rising, at Rising Action on Twitter and, and his article that, yeah, I, I totally agree with him that we're going to see uh, Mike DiPietro play in the AHL, but for a Canadian team. And whether that's the Manitoba Moose, which, you know, to totally could be, um, he's going to play and he's going to be the next guy up if some something goes down. And, you know, you might see somebody else hang around GM place or be the third goalie on the taxi squad, but Mikey is definitely, definitely on the radar. And I know the goalie guys do like his potential. He is small, but super athletic, works really hard, understands and is driven. I think Ian Clark likes working with him as well. Um, don't want to overrate his potential, but uh, yeah, I, I'd definitely be positive about Mikey DiPietro. Travis Green's contract expires at the end of this season, and he's gotten a lot out of this roster, more than a lot of coaches probably could. Do you see him getting an extension, and do you think it's impacted by the shortened season? Uh, yeah, I think he does get an extension. I think ultimately they do sign him. Um, and it 100% has been impacted by the financials. Now, whether you think it's legitimate or not, or anybody thinks it is or not, the money is being, the money being offered is different because of the economic realities, right? So it totally has impacted the negotiation and how it's gone to this point. It hasn't been acrimonious or anything to this point, but you know, Travis is smart and Travis, you know, like Elliot Friedman also mentioned is a poker player who likes to bet on himself and he is going to bet on himself in this instance. And he should, right? Like if you look at this team and they, they're flawed, but in theory and with potential, there is potential that they at least make the playoffs, right? And I don't think they're a cup contender, so let's, let, let's not get too ahead here. I just mean in terms of they're a team that is good. Like, and they could be good if, goal, and if, you, if a few things do fall in place for them. So if you make the playoffs with this team again, and if you even win a round or something and you stay competitive, there's a really good chance here that his stock's only going to rise. And there are people around the league that value Travis a lot. And if he doesn't get his money here, he'll get it elsewhere. So if he has a certain range or money that he believes he should get in a certain amount of term, he believes he should get, he is not going to sign it until he gets it. And I think it's going to pay, work out for him because he'll either get what he wants or close to it now, or he'll probably have success and get it in the offseason. Do you think of his strategy so far of making it super clear in each of his press conferences that he wants to be here? Yeah, I mean, he's smart, right? Like, because who's going to turn on him in the fan base, right? If anything, they're going to root for him more. He knows what he's doing. And you're right. Like, it's not this, you know, all-out propaganda, but he knows what he's doing. Play to the crowd. Why not play to the crowd? If there's a contract negotiation, get people on your side. Tell people how much you love it here. Tell people how much you love the organization and the emblem and the logo. When you do that, when people see hardcore fans and fans see that you love the crest or you portend to love the crest, then, you know, people are going to root for you. Right. So of course, like he, he knows what he's doing and it's a smart strategy. Why not? Like make sure people are, are on your side, at least now, because you know, you know, people are going to turn on them the first time, the first losing streak. I mean, they're going to lose four games in a row at some point, you know, they're going to have a stretch where, you know, 10, 11 games, there might be under 500 a game or two, right. They have a stretch. Like there's going to be things that happen this year. And people are going to be calling for his head. He's going to make mistakes. And people are going to point it out. So 
why not build as much credit while you can, while the going is good, so you can spend it when you're going on a losing streak? Um, pushing off to kind of a more broader conversation about, I, is it called the North Division or whatever it's called? Canada, yeah. the Canada I, I Division. Know Sponsored by, I believe it's Scotia. Scotia, Scotia Bank. Bank right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, not Scotia Bank, just Scotia. Scotia. Scotia, right. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> what team do you think benefits the most from the shortened season and the rapid kind of pace that we're going to be seeing over the next, I think it's like 16 weeks or something? Man, that's a good question. Uh, man, which team has the most depth? In theory, uh, actually, I'd say Calgary, actually, because they have some guys who've been injury prone. So you have a shorter seat. Well, actually, that goes against the two because you play so many games in a short period of time, right? I'd actually say Toronto because they have the most depth. And I think in this situation, the team with the most depth and with the most means is going to have the chance to keep itself above water the longest. So I'd say it's them because they have the most. You probably need a lot. I mean, if anything, the injuries will be compounded. And even if you only miss two weeks, you must, you might miss like eight or nine games in two weeks. Right. So you're, you're talking about if you get a significant injury to a guy, you're in trouble. So I'd say Toronto would probably benefit the most from a shortened season because they probably lose the least because of it. So one of the things about this season that's been, that is interesting is obviously these, like the series that they're playing. It's not just kind of the in one city, another city, the next night, another city, the next night. And I know that 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 had been something that had been bandied about. I think people might know about the Taves schedule, um, which is this idea of shifting towards a more baseball-style format, particularly to deal with travel. Travel for both kind of environmental reasons, but also impacts on the players. Do you think that we could see kind of a shift to that style of schedule after COVID even, potentially? Uh, Maybe a little bit, actually, because – at the same time, the league loves to save money if they can. And especially the first year back, just kind of look back at history. What the, league, the first thing the league did when they came back from the lockout where they missed the entire season back in 2004, 2005, they kind of shortened they, – they played more divisional games. And you played you play your own division like eight times. Like they played the Edmonton Oilers like seven times, I think, or eight times that season. They had a three-game series against the Edmonton Oilers in 2005 2006 so i mean they played three games in a row against edmonton so they've done that in the past and that year they went back to it so i do think this year coming back from the lockout they will also cut back on travel again because you know like bettman said today the league would save more money if they didn't play than if they would play now i do think that is disingenuous to some degree because we're not quite sure what exactly the money is going to be by the end of the season And it's also disingenuous because all these franchise values are always growing exponentially anyways, and it's a long-term investment. So it's like, if you wouldn't have played, you would have cost your franchises the long-term impact far more than what you would have lost in this one given year, no matter how how bad the losses are. But regardless, it's clear, though, they're going to take a loss on this season. And it's clear, though, a lot of these these owners have taken – you know, hits relative to their means, you know, over the pandemic. So I'd say we could see a shift back to that. And I do think to the larger question, it would be a good thing to have these three game series in general. Like, I think it would be fun if, if, the, if Toronto came to Vancouver and played two games back to back and Vancouver goes to Toronto and plays two games back to back, right? Like 
that would be fun. It's a two-game series, and you should play them on back-to-back days, and it gets exciting depending on what happens the first game. The next game matters, right? I, I, think, I do think that's a good way to build atmosphere, and it could cut down on travel too and you know, be more environmentally friendly. I'm going to shift the topic from the Canucks a little bit. So it's a Canucks adjacent. Um, you've done a really good job on your show of covering some of the social justice issues, especially around the time of the player walkouts and having Xavier Pope on. Have you guys given any thought to how all of those discussions will be incorporated into how you cover the team going forward? And what would you personally hope to see from your peers in the media? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we have talked about quite a bit about, you, you know, how we have to further these stories and how we have to amplify, you know, situations, especially when they arise and, and make sure that the platform is given for the right message to come out. And the reality is we don't always have the right answers in this, right? And, you know, as much as, you know, each one of us, you know, are or are not you know, socially aware, and some of us are socially aware, the situation has become so complex and, it, it, and there are so many layers to it that one thing that I've learned and I thought I knew so much about these things is I don't know enough myself, right? And it's, this, it's, a, constant, it's a constant mission to every day try to understand a bit more. And so when I, when I do my daily prep now, I do pay attention to a few more things than I would have normally on day to day. And I would like watch, like I would be like, I, I thought myself of, you know, being aware of things like I donate to this. I, I stay aware with this. I believe in these sort of things. But then when you see the, the depth of it and when you see, you know, how layered it becomes, you understand that you have to be on top of these things to see these injustices as they happen on a day to day to day basis. Right. Because if you miss a little thing, sometimes you don't realize how all of a sudden, you know, something that you thought was small all of a sudden leads to more convictions for people who are of color or people who are, you know, minorities in general because of how the system has been built to discriminate and profit off this discrimination, right? And if you don't have a threat, well, then you can't spend money on policing. And if you don't have uh, perceived enemies, well, you can't blame the faults of the actual problems on the real culprits. You blame it on the poor. You blame it on the immigrants. You blame it on, you know, the communities where um, you have minorities, but the real problem is it's socioeconomical, right? Like everything is proven that socioeconomic, poor socioeconomic situations lead to a lot of problems. It leads to a lack of opportunities. It leads to crime. And it's not because people turn to crime because they're bad people. It's because they got nothing else to do, right? Like if you neglect, neglect the community and you police it, right? And you do it viciously to some degree because you treat these people as criminals, you treat them as bad people, then it's going to perpetuate and get worse and worse. And if we allow this to happen, even in our communities, then we're going to have a problem long-term. And we do have these problems long-term because you look at those communities that have socioeconomic problems that are police harsher, they turn out more problems, right? And, and if we don't bring awareness to that, even, you know, doing our, doing sports, then I don't think we're really doing our communities justice because 
the times of sports broadcasters or athletes being silent are done, right? Like there's an obligation now to understand what the problems are and speak on it intelligently. It doesn't mean that we have to give answers and opinions. Like I don't have to show up and do a rant every day and, and tell you how it is, right? It's more about being aware that when a situation arises, you can ask the right question. You can have the right discussion, right? That's what it's about. Like, I don't sit here and pretend that I know how to fix society or, you know, how things get solved. It's more about understanding and trying to have the right discussion. Discussion doesn't mean opinion. It doesn't mean blame. It doesn't mean fault. It means trying to talk through things. And now there's an expectation when things happen that we talk through things. And you have to do that with some base of knowledge. We're going to switch over to something a little more light and a different sport. So we're going to talk some football. We're going to talk actually football times two, both kinds of football, because you're also a Chelsea fan as well. Yes, yes. So we're going to start off with the Browns, the good. We'll start off with the positive. Ooh, thanks. So the Browns did something historic. They won their first playoff game in 25 years by defeating division rival Steelers. And basically the game was over in the first, by the end of the first quarter, they were up 28, nothing. And I love to see it because the Steelers suck. And whoever <laughs> cheers for the Steelers, reevaluate re your life. That's JD Burke. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I was, I was actually texting with JD over the past couple of days, right? Because, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> and you know he kind of chirping but he, he was giving love he's like enjoyed and everything so you know i don't, don't want to dunk on jd too much but screw the steelers man yeah man, they, they talk so much trash those fans are assholes i'm telling you man like those fans get after you and they were like they were kicking dirt on the browns already they're talking so much noise and the players were talking noise juju was talking noise even chase played like chase you're from abbotsford like have some class man he was saying Oh, the Browns gonna Browns gonna they're gonna go go get they're gonna get waxed by the Chiefs. I can't even talk. I'm just so hyped. But you know the, the Browns didn't get waxed by the Chiefs anyway. So why does it matter? It's like, dude, you just lost to the Browns. You were gonna get waxed by the Chiefs at the worst. You you should be happy the Browns saved you the embarrassment to going to Kansas City and getting beat sixty nothing or something. Like just just chill, dude. Like I don't like that. Even after they lost, we're talking trash. So I'm I'm with you 100. percent I'm so happy to beat the Steelers, especially the Steelers. They pissed me off so much. But yes, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the Cleveland Browns. And I was, I was super elated. And time. they're taking on the Chiefs next, which is the defending Super Bowl champions. So, and Patrick Mahomes, which is obviously the best player in the NFL, which will be an insanely tough matchup for the Browns. Yeah. How can they beat the Chiefs? How do you see them winning? I mean, it's, 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 it's a tall order. Now, I didn't really think they were going to beat the Steelers because of their situation. So, I mean, you know, I was already wrong. So I hope to be wrong against the Chiefs again. But it's, it's hard to beat the Chiefs. Now, if you want to create, you know, there's always a pathway because it's sports, right? There, there's always a path to victory to, in anything, especially in football with matchups and stuff. So there's always a chance. The path to victory for the Browns would be the run game dominating again. I mean, Baker can't make mistakes. Baker has to be good. There's, you know, I think he can be. He showed it last week. But if the run game dominates, that means you dominate the clock. And if you can dominate the clock and if you can score with the run game, then you give yourself a chance to shorten the game. You give yourself to keep the ball, give yourself a chance to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes because he's going to torch the Browns secondary, right? I mean, the Browns have a terrible secondary. They're, 
I mean, their safety situation is an absolute joke this season. That's a big problem for them. Miles Garrett's a monster, though, so and I think he's going to get better. Although, sidebar, you know how people say COVID's not a big deal or whatever, right? Okay, so Miles Garrett is maybe the most freakish athlete on the planet. He had COVID like six weeks ago or whatever it was. He hasn't been the same since. He's not the same. Like, he doesn't have the same stamina. He doesn't have the same jump. He's not the same, right? And some people are affected by it more than others are. But like if Miles Garrett is going to still be a bit sluggish after COVID, like six weeks later, trust me, like this thing does have its issues. And you've seen other athletes. And, and I do think long-term, we're going to kind of find out that some athletes had more problems than others, that they're not quite the same stamina-wise or conditioning-wise because of respiratory issues afterwards or other issues. So there is a risk here. Like, you know, these guys are taking risks, you know, playing this game right now. They're being compensated for it. And they're, you know, they're, that's their right to take this risk. And I support that. I think people have a right to make that choice as long as government allows you to make that choice in the situation. So I'm all for them playing. But they are taking a risk. And there, there are issues. But if Miles Garrett gets a little bit better, he can still dominate. So the defense has a chance to at least make a few plays. And they did get, you know, five takeaways against the Steelers. And they do have a chance to get a few picks. And if Denzel Ward comes back, who is legitimately a great cornerback, that does help a terrible secondary. And he has a chance to make a couple plays. And even if he doesn't make a couple, that's the path to victory. I mean, you can't make any special teams mistakes, obviously. But if they can dominate the run game and the defense can get a few turnovers and the D-line can get a bit of a push, maybe they can win the game 38, 37, 36. I like it. We'll all be cheering for the Browns here. I'm just Thank telling you. you all, you're cheering um, for the Browns. Mallory no, lives in Kansas City. <laughs> I know. I know. That's exactly well, what I said. That. I really Give hope they make it to the Super Bowl the again Browns. so I can not watch. <laughs> we are not Chiefs fans here. Not even I did not now. even watch the entire Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I respect the Chiefs. I mean, they're a great team. They're entertaining. I, I have nothing against the Chiefs. I, I mean, it's only Steelers. They're also a division rival, right? And they've dominated us forever. So that's kind of why I hate the Steelers so much. And it's because, you know, when you get beat by a team consistently, I mean, who likes to get beat by anybody, let alone every like twice a year for 20 years, right? I mean, that's essentially what it was. But yeah, I don't hate the Chiefs. You know, I just hope they find a way to beat the Chiefs. Seth, how did you become a Cleveland fan? And how did you hang on for 25 years? And- I question, you know, life choices often. And like, that's one that I have questioned over the years. But so long story short, I became a Browns fan because I, I used to read Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated for kids all the time. And I loved it. And I remember reading about James Brown being, you know, a, you know, social activist. You know, he was a great football player. He was really tough in the movies and stuff all the time. Right. So I didn't know about other issues, which came up later. And we'll get uh. to that in a second. But, yeah, so James, so Jim Brown, I, you know, as a kid, and they glorified him. Like, it's when I remember reading Sports Illustrated, like, you know, this is this guy, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's really cool. And who did he play for? The Browns. Oh, I love the Browns. So I became a Browns fan because of it. And then, you know, it's funny because I became a Browns fan because of Jim Brown. And then when I learned about what Jim Brown had done, like domestic violence issues he had and like some terrible things he's done, I'm like, you know, I was, I was, I was like, man, I don't even like Jim Brown anymore. I had a Jim Brown jersey. I got rid of it. Like that's, that's what happened, right? Like I, I was, I remember, you know, thinking about it and everything, and you know, I was like, man, I can't. Like this guy that I love, and like, and that's one. That's one of the moments actually I learned not to be 
infatuated with athletes when I was a kid. And I was like, I, I, I learned to like not glorify these guys and make them out to be something they're not or like something greater than they actually are because no one can live up to that, right? And, and it's not correct. So anyways, I became a Browns fan because of Jim Brown. So we'll switch over to the football or the footy football and we'll take it to the EPL and yeah. over here. Um, I'm at the top of the table, loving Manchester United, yeah. and Boo, boo, boo. Over there. Hey, Chelsea <laughs> is two points, no, they're three points ahead of Arsenal. Yeah. They're and in ninth right now? They're supposed to be good, <laughs> so <laughs> at least, like, we're not in denial. Yeah. <laughs> in, our, in, yeah. our, in our episode notes, we have, he is a Chelsea fan, in brackets, embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. We we get it bad as Chelsea fans, but uh, man, I, I've always loved Chelsea. That's that's my club. I don't care. I mean, I, I love Chelsea, and I think roster they're good. They have a good roster. Like, come on, like we can make fun of Chelsea all we want, but they have a good roster. They do. Like, they should be better than they actually are. Now, Havertz also had COVID, and he hasn't been the same since he's had COVID. Like, that's made a big difference because he was supposed to be the fulcrum of the team essentially. Like, he's going to run the midfield, and everything's going to run through him. And if you if he is that talent, it changes things. Now, Chelsea's had the same problems they've had for a long time, which is good buildup, leaky defense, and they can't finish, right? And Chelsea's back to being the same thing right now. And uh, it's very frustrating. And I was very excited early in the season because things looked, you know, like they were going well. But uh, I am very worried. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope right now about the season turning around and them contending. I'm hoping they can finish top four. That, that's, that's all I'm hoping for, finish top four. That's it. I hope. So what do you see happening with manager Frank Lampard at the end of this season or during this season even? Uh, no, I think he'll make this. I think he'll, I mean, it's Chelsea. Who knows? Uh, I, th- I think he'll make it through the season. Uh, man, like it's Chelsea, man. Like, I mean, Lampard is, you know, super Frank and everything, but man, you have a tough season. If they finish like, if they finish outside the top four and, and if it's bad, if it keeps going like this, if finish like eighth or ninth or 10th, like he's gone, man. <laughs> They're not going to mess around with that. Like they'll, they'll fire him. But if he finishes like fifth or like they make a push, like sixth or something at worst. He'll finish below Man United. He'll be at the top of the table. <laughs> it's literal garbage. I can't even chirp. I can't even chirp. <laughs> Uh, none of you can chirp me right now. It's beautiful. Uh, What's that? Yeah, but Danny also got chirped by Roman Yossi, so. <laughs> you did. I did. For being a Man U fan, that's it was very funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, I think that's all our questions. Yeah, we've Thank kept you. you for quite a long time talking all sorts of sports. Thank you so much for coming on this oh, special yeah. Connects preview episode of the Broadcast. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, keep up the good work with the podcast. Thank you so much. Shout out to this week's 31 thoughts. And that will be Baker Mayfield because he's kind of a douchebag and he won for the Browns. So dedicating that to Sat, Baker Mayfield is our 31 thought of the week. If you want some fun, go YouTube Baker Mayfield running away from the cops. It's very funny. He's someone who I actually think could have a decent movie career outside of like pro sports because he's actually like better sometimes in his commercials than he is on the football field. But anyways, that takes us to the end of this episode. (laughs) 
you can find us all on Twitter, except for Georgia, because you guys know you blew it. You lost it. You suck. You can send us an email at broadcastpod at gmail.com. And we will talk to you guys Wednesday during the Follow us game. on Twitter. Yeah, except for Georgia. View. No, follow the podcast. Okay, yeah. Broadcast pod. <laughs> that one. Follow the main pod on Twitter oh my and God. Instagram at Broadcast Pod. And watch our live stream Wednesday night during the Canucks first game. Let's go, Canucks. Yay. Okay. That takes us to the end. Goodbye. Love you all. Bye. 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 <laughs>